love or hate NBA super teams. They've been around for many years. The NBA's always been top heavy. That's not a secret. And maybe the problem is players are in more control than ever before. And that's why it's frustrating so many fans. How many times have you heard NBA fans say how sick they are of super teams and how weak stars look joining up with other stars? But the thing is, the NBA has always been top heavy. And for over 40 years, there's been super teams. Let's keep it 100. If your favorite team created a super team through trade or free agency, would you complain as much? I'm thinking no. When it's your team and you're enjoying the successes, the riches of winning with that type of talent, then you don't complain nearly as much, if at all. And fans are okay if a super team is created through trade. But when it happens in free agency, everybody loses their mind. And maybe that's because they don't like the idea of a player just deciding, I don't want to be here anymore. But it was okay when LeBron left the Cavaliers to go to the Heat. He was bettering his situation. He was giving himself the best chance, the best opportunity to win a title by joining up with Wade, with Bosch in the Miami Heat. And then four trips to the finals later, what does LeBron do? Wade had gotten older. Bosch wasn't quite as healthy. He upgrades. He goes back to the Cavaliers and he joins a young ascending Kyrie, a proven all-star in Kevin Love, and he bettered his situation. He goes to four more NBA finals. There's nothing wrong with that. There was nothing wrong with KD leaving and going to Golden State. I didn't like him going to Golden State, but I understood and I knew for sure, if nothing else, even before he went to the Warriors, I was certain his time with OKC was up. It was time for him and Russ to part ways. And I didn't mind that. I have no problem with PG-13 or Kyrie or Jimmy Buckets making making noise, trying to find a way out of their situations. And they were able to do so. They basically forced their way out of town. And that's the new thing, right? We've talked about this. You get a star player going into their final season, and if they're unhappy and you know this, they're going to leverage that one year. They're going to let you know ahead of time, you might want to move me or lose me and get no value in return. And again, I'm okay with players making those type of decisions. So I get frustrated when I hear a lot of fans talk about how they're tired of super teams and how super teams have ruined the league. This league has been belonging to super teams forever. Even when I first started watching the NBA, there were always super teams. So when I hear older people say Magic or Bird would never join up with another star, well, why would they? Magic came into the league and he had Kareem and he had Jamal Wilkes and he had Norm Nixon. And then later on, Worthy, Scott, he had Bob McAdoo, he had Michael Thompson and Michael Cooper coming off the bench. Why would he leave? Why would Bird leave when he had Parrish, McHale, Dennis Johnson, Tiny Archibald, Danny Ainge, Cornbread Maxwell, and Bill Walton coming off the bench? Isaiah had Dumars, Vinnie Johnson. Adrian Dantley, Mark Aguirre, 
John Sally, Rodman, Mahorn, Lambeer, and James Edwards. Where was the upgrade? My point is, super teams are part of the fabric of the NBA. And maybe they're being formed in a different way, but they've always been there. Look, Jordan didn't have the most overall talent when you look at those other teams, but he had a great number two in Pippen. Why would he leave that? He wasn't going to. That was a perfect situation for him. And I know times have changed and there's more player movement through free agency. But players having the ability to pick and choose where and who they want to play with, I'm good with that. In my opinion, front offices, the onus is on them. They've got to step their game up when they have the opportunity, when they sit down and they make a pitch to a a free agent about their future and where their franchises is going. It's all about their plan. If you've got a good plan, if you've got legit talent in place, then the odds of you signing a free agent goes up. But this idea that super teams just suddenly ruined the NBA is just false. The truth of the matter is there are a lot of super teams. They've always been there. And, and, and guess what? Not all super teams win titles. Think about that Portland team. Drexler, Porter, Buck Williams. Jerome Kersey, Cliff Robinson, Duckworth, loaded, but they never won a title. The Milwaukee team with Ray Allen, Sam Cassell, Big Dog Robinson, that was a big three. Talented team, but they never won a title. What about Chris Webber's Sacramento Kings and how talented that team was? You remember how big, how how talented Chris Webber was in his prime, what C-Webb could do? That's an all-time kind of talent. Chris Webber, with his skill set and his ability, you put him in any era, and he's putting up numbers. But remember how talented overall that team was. They didn't win any titles. I've seen other Milwaukee Bucks teams. If you go way back, back in the day, Sidney Moncrief, Marcus Johnson, Junior Bridgman, those kind of squads, Big Bob Lanier, but they didn't win any titles. It's a star-driven league, and that won't change. And every now and then, it's true, you will get an anomaly team that comes out of nowhere, and that would have been Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace, Sheed's Pistons team that came out of nowhere and upset the Lakers. And that was a great team, not an all-time team, but that was a great team. Remember, that team, that Pistons team, they went to seven straight Eastern Conference Finals. So they were real. But they were an anomaly because they really weren't star laden. Those guys were talented, but they weren't superstars. But look at every other team that's won the title before and since. They were loaded. When you put Shaq with Dwayne Wade, who was ascending and becoming a superstar right before our eyes, it's not surprising that that Heat team won the finals. Now, it's surprising how they won it because basically Wade carried them. Um, Another anomaly team, actually, when I think about it, I take that back. There is one more of recent memory. Dirk's Mavs. They came out of nowhere. That team was not slated to win the title. Nobody thought they would win a title. Nobody thought they would even get to the finals. And they not only got there, they ran through those finals. They ran through the heat. But more times than not, it's the superstar teams. Because what happened the next year? The heat came back. 
and they won the finals and they went to two more finals after that. That's what you do in this NBA. So when I see star players trying to force their way out of situations, I'm not necessarily agreeing with what they're doing, but I understand why they do that. I understand the idea that they're trying to better their situations. I understand that if you've been a road franchise seven or eight years and you feel like you're not going anywhere, that they've hit their plateau. And if you want to have true success, if you want to actually be a title contender or win a title, you've got to go elsewhere. I understand that type of thinking. A lot of these star slash superstar players, they reach a point where numbers are great, but then they start thinking about legacy and how they're perceived in the bigger picture. So I understand the need to try to win titles, to try to achieve those ultimate goals. Again, star-driven league, you have to put stars with other stars. And look at it from this point of view. If the shoe were on the other foot, and it's been done a million times already, when a franchise, when management has the opportunity to better themselves, to better their situation, to better them teams, what do they do? They make that trade. They do what's best in the, need, in the interest of the franchise. So let's not get mad or let's not lose our minds when the players do what's best in the interest of their career, of their brand. So last night, I watched the Warriors lose to the Raptors, 131-128. Kawhi led the way for the Raptors, 37-8-3. KD, 51-11-6 for the Dubs. And while I was watching that game, what, what I realized is when you get past the drama and all the pundits hearsay and you look at the Warriors, when they're at full strength, that's what Steph, Clay, Draymond, and KD on the floor with Iggy, obviously, and Sean, Sean Livingston, they're still the favorites to win the finals, and they should be. When they're locked in, when they're focused on the mission at hand, the Warriors are going to three-peat. The only team that can prevent the Warriors from three-peating are the Warriors. And as talented as the Raptors are, and they are very talented, I think Kawhi Leonard is the main reason why Boston has no shot to beat the Raptors in a series. Boston has no one guy that can match up with Kawhi. And the Raptors are a deep team. What makes them special is their depth. When you look at what Saikam, Anubi, Van Fleet, and Valanchunas gives you as a collective, they're probably one of the deepest teams in the league. And those guys are young. Valanchunas is still only 26. Van Fleet, 23. Anubi, 21. Saikam, 23. You combine that with what you're getting from Ibaka, 17-7. 56% from the floor. Lowry, 15 points, 10 assists, 46% from the floor, 36 from three, and Kawhi, 25-8 and three, 48% from the field, 35 from three. The Raptors can lock you down defensively, and they can score the basketball. What I like about this Raptors team, there's more ball movement, the ball is shared more, and Kawhi gives them an edge that they never had before. Having said that, 
I still think in a seven game series versus the Golden State Warriors at 100 percent and locked in on the task at hand. The Raptors best shot is maybe to make it a good series. But beating the Golden State Warriors at 100 percent, four times out of seven, that's not going to happen. Not this current version of the Warriors. Which leads me to something I've been thinking about also. I still believe if the Warriors can stay healthy and you can't predict health, not only will they three-peat, not only will they drown out all the white noise, I think KD returns for another season. I don't know if he's going to sign a long-term deal. He might turn around and sign another one-and-one. He might even... He might even make up some some drama and make it about either, either he or Draymond. You hope it doesn't come to that. Look, winning titles isn't easy. And when you're on a run like this, to me, you ride it out to the very finish. And they're not an older team. They're all still fairly young. Katie just turned 30. Steph just turned 30. Draymond's 27, 28. Clay's 28. What they can do when you keep those four together is you can replenish by adding young pieces around them, younger legs around them. Because really, when you look at what Iguodala and Livingston give them, they're both getting older. I think Iguodala's 35, Livingston's 33. So they need younger legs. But I digress. My point is simple. At 100% health, when they're looking at the mission, why wouldn't the Warriors three-peat? This is the best team in basketball. And I know people are going to throw out super team, and we just went over the super team situation. And they've been around for years. So rather than get caught up in that, enjoy the basketball. I think super teams are good for the league because I think it, it motivates, I think it makes other teams, other franchises, step their game up. I think it's why Jimmy Butler is under Sixers. I think it's why people are trying to get Somebody like a Bradley Bill to Houston or a Bradley Bill to the Lakers. It makes other front offices step their game up. The standard right now are the Golden State Warriors. And to match them or compete with them, you've got to have multiple guys that can put the ball on the floor, multiple guys that can switch out defensively, and you've got to have multiple guys that can give you 20 plus a night. You want to compete with the Warriors? That's what you have to have on your roster. I thought this show would be a good show to give a shout out to some of the NBA players that are putting up numbers. They're not necessarily stars, but they're being very productive. And I've recognized what they're doing. Let's start in OKC with Dennis Schroeder. I knew Schroeder would be a good fit for OKC because they gives them another creator, another guy that can create off the bounce. He's giving you 17 points a game, four rebounds and five assists. We'll go to the Blazers. Yusuf Nurkic. Nurkic is that third guy on the Blazers. They still need another perimeter player. But the big man is averaging 15 points, 10 rebounds, shooting 52% from the field. Let's go to the Spurs. It's kind of like a comeback year. This is the first year since his surgery where Rudy Gay looks as much as Rudy Gay could look like the old Rudy Gay, right? He looks a lot like his old self. He's giving you 15 points a game, 7 rebounds, 50% from the floor, 48% from three. Also on the Spurs, Bryn Forbes, 13 points a game, 45% from the floor, 46 from three. 
Let's go to Sacramento. That surprise Kings team that we're all talking about. Buddy Hill, 18 points, 5 rebounds, 48% from the floor, 45% from three. On the Pelicans, Eton Moore, 16 points a game, 54% from the floor, 46% from three. He's been balling. On the Timberwolves, this guy was forgotten about, written off. Everybody said washed, done. Derrick Rose, 19 points a game, four and a half assists per game, 49% from the floor, and a career high 46% from three. Good looking out. Welcome back, D. Rose. On the Mavericks, these are two veterans. They've been around. They've seen it all. Wesley Matthews, 16 points per game. J.J. Barrera, at age 34, 11 points, six assists coming off the bench. Let's go to Orlando. Terrence Ross, 14 points a game, 46% from the floor, 42% from three. And, of course, Nick Vucevic, the big man's giving you 20-11 with four assists, 54% from the floor, and 39% from three. On the Pistons, no shock. Andre German still developing, still improving. But even in this early stages of his career, 19 points, 16 rebounds, 53% from the floor. Let's go to the Hornets. We all know what Kimba is doing. Kimba's been a beast this year. 28 points, 6 assists, 45% from the floor, 38% from three. But Jeremy Lamb has quietly had a really good season. 14 points a game, 5 rebounds, 45% from the floor, and 36% from three. On the Nets, I've talked about this guy. I talked about him last year. Quiet assassin. This guy is going to make a lot of money in free agency. Spencer Dimwitty, 16 points a game, five assists, 47% from the floor, 38% from three. And remember, when you watch Dimwitty play, he's basically Sean Livingston with range. On the Knicks, Tim Hardaway Jr., 23 points a game, 40% from the floor, 37% from three. And a guy that people kind of had written off, but you forget, he's still a young guy. At age 23, Emmanuel Moutier is still developing, and it looked like Fisdale is the right coach for him. Moutier shooting 49% from the floor, averaging just under 12 points a game for the Knicks. Shout out to all those guys. Shout out to the Facebook fam, the YouTube fam, and always to the Anchor fam. Look, the Anchor page is popping. I'm not out there all the time writing and posting all the time, but I do read what a lot of people say. I comment on what, what they all have to say. And the best thing I can say about that page is everybody seems like they want each other to win. And I love that. I will catch you all on the next show, which will be on Monday. Remember, we're doing shows now on Mondays, Tuesdays and Fridays. It's the cipher. Good looking out next time.